This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Kate Andrews. Now today there's the news of a new bailout, which we're going to get Kate you to explain very shortly. But before we do that, something else that we haven't actually talked about on this podcast so far, Katie, is the Gary Lineker saga. Now last week it did seem like a bit of a blown up story because, you know, this football commentator tweets about Nazism or whatever it is. But then everything changed over the weekend. Tell us about what's happened and why it's political. Politically very interesting. Yes, I think we can argue that the, the event that could be the most significant today is regarding the Silicon Valley Bank and what the government is doing. But certainly the event that I think dominated the news streams most this weekend, and meant you could barely pick up a paper or turn on the TV or particularly go on the BBC without reading about relates to Gary Lineker. And as you say, this all kicked off on Friday when after initially the BBC suggested they were not going to discipline Gary Lineker over a tweet in which he compared the language around the illegal migration bill by the government to the language in 1930s Germany that they were not going to punish or investigate. After they said this, I think Gary Lineker sent a few more tweets. For example, he directly tweeted Penny Morden, who had brought up Gary Lineker in the House of Commons chamber. So I think he obviously wanted to defend himself. Uh, But this then all prompted a situation when uh, the BBC late on Friday announced that they'd asked Gary Lineker to step back. That would have been one thing, him not being on the match of the day. But before you knew it, you had uh, a whole range of colleagues people who aren't even colleagues but are just simply sports presenters or staff <laughs> they're suggesting that in solidarity they were going to also not work and the BBC schedule has been up and out all weekend match of the day reduced to a much shorter timetable without the usual music without the usual commentators though notably the viewing figures did actually go up um, I think before people start shouting at this podcast whether this means that the BBC can save millions of pounds of the Gary Lineker's salary or the fact that perhaps people were really just interested to see yeah. what it looked like yeah. um, but, but I think you know, I think at the highest viewing figures since early November in terms of that match of the day slot. And now we're going to find out what the Gary Lineker is effect because he will be back on Saturday. Um, so will the viewing figures fall? Um, but in all seriousness, I think it has been a bit of a crisis for the BBC because ultimately Tim Davey is trying to, was looking at these guidelines and ultimately it seems as though Gary Lineker's tweet was in breach of the guidelines. But now... After, uh, I think, a situation that went far beyond where the BBC expected, they are reviewing the guidelines and Gary Lineker is going back and his tweet announcing it, he said, you know, it's been a difficult few days, nothing like the plight of those escaping home. I don't think anyone thought this was similar to the plight Mm. of um, those (laughs) seeking asylum, but it was good to have the clarification. But I think on on a political note... You could see over the weekend some nerves on the Tory side that this was starting to become a negative story for the government because Keir Starmer very quickly got out there and was saying how, you know, this was down to government pressure, Tory pressure. And there had been backbenchers and government ministers in the form of Penny Mordaunt who'd mm. been, you know, raising the issue. You have Lee Anderson, obviously, deputy Tory chairman who has... I think, to no surprise, strong views on the subject. And also MPs, um, you know, writing a letter that 
Garrett Lineker must be disciplined. And this is in contrast to what Rishi Sunak has wanted to do. I think there's some frustration at the way that Penny Morden, as leader of the House, spoke in the Commons and made jokes about Gary Lineker. Number 10 have wanted to keep some distance and make this simply a BBC row, whereas it's quite hard to rein mm. in your MPs who have strong views on the subject. And you can see this on Saturday when, quite unprecedented, Number 10 released a statement early evening in which uh, Rishi Sunak made very clear that he defended his policy but this was a matter for the BBC and I think there was a concern that perhaps in this country a Gary Lineker while some might not like him is more popular than your average Tory MP and the row could start to you know reopen what I think last week was seen as a as a actually illegal migration bill landing pretty well from the government perspective and this was going to turn it and make it much more a culture war type decision the other thing this does is raises more questions about Richard Sharp and it's interesting that when pressed Rishi Sunak has not given you know his full confidence to Richard Sharp uh, remaining as BBC chairman of course he's facing questions as over his role allegedly arranging a loan for the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Kate, on the weekend you had a new blog coming out talking about why the right gets immigration wrong, in which you, you were very critical of the, the bill and the, the approach that the current government is taking. What do you make of the Gary Lineker stance? Are you going to boycott coffee house shots? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with you now, Cindy. You know, Gary Lineker doesn't help the cause of being more pro-migration and certainly more pro-refugee by using those kinds of comparisons to... Nazi Germany, it, you know, is that kind of language that actually enables his critics to come back and say that he's being unreasonable because I think fundamentally those comments are unreasonable. But when it comes to Gary Lineker, I have quite a boring view on this, which is that ultimately it comes down to his contract with the BBC. What does that say? Is he allowed to send out tweets that truly express his opinion, even in the most aggressive and sometimes egregious way possible? Or does he have a contract that prevents that? And, you know, a lot of people have been talking about free speech and cancel culture and really anti-cancel culture. I don't want Twitter's response to Gary Lineker to lose him his job either way. But I think the real question is for the BBC and what's in that contract. And by the way, if they've negotiated a contract with him where he can say whatever he wants, given his profile on the BBC, maybe they should rethink that. But this is really a question between employer and employee for me. Now, Kate, let's also talk about the Silicon Valley Bank then, because it's something else that was really blowing up over the weekend. And I have to say that when I left the office on Friday, I didn't know what Silicon Valley Bank is. Now I think I kind of know what it is. But it's gone. Oh, a lot of people didn't. Um, And then all of a sudden, we're looking down the barrel of a potential regional banking crisis. So the Silicon Valley Bank, which was established, I think, about 40 years ago, was, you know, specifically targeting those kinds of technological investments based in California, all the rest of it. And In normal times, you would say that the way that they were investing was relatively prudent. Um, They were heavily invested in government bonds. But because interest rates have been going up so quickly in the U.S. and the price of bonds have been falling, it's created a lot of tension and a lot of nerves. And all of a sudden, you saw people pulling out their deposits very, very quickly, basically creating a run. And Silicon Valley bank has collapsed. Uh, The government has had to step in. Um, U.S. regulators have essentially taken it over. They are guaranteeing all deposits Mm. within the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, some are arguing, so, you know, it's it's not a bailout because the deposits are being covered, but the investments, the shareholders, all that, they are not being covered. I'm with the Wall Street Journal's editorial board on this one. It is essentially a de facto bailout, and the idea that taxpayer money isn't going to be on the line is, I think you have to, you have to really kind of 
play with the language to imply that it's not going to be. But it's interesting to see what's happened in the UK because essentially overnight we've had the Bank of England alongside the Treasury negotiating a deal in which HSBC has bought the UK arm of the Silicon Valley Bank because there are really big questions over the weekend for the UK and the UK's tech startups that have been investing in this bank. HSBC has bought it for one pound. They have secured the deposits of over 3,000 customers, I think well over six billion pounds. And a message went out from the Chancellor this morning who was saying, you know, this is great news, taxpayer money, and, you know, hasn't been used. We've, we've, got this, we, we, we've got this deal with HSBC secured. Well, taxpayer money hopefully won't be used if this all goes according to plan. Mm. But I think there's so many questions that arise from this. Number one, what has the regulatory environment been? It was assumed that this kind of banking crash could not happen again after the financial mm. crash, but we're now looking at these much smaller banks and these much smaller lenders in regional areas and, you know, what the regulations around them have been. There are many questions about rising interest rates. Uh, you know, here in the UK last autumn, we saw that fright with the LDI pension funds as interest rates were going up or the expectation of them was going up. Now we have the crash of the Silicon Valley Bank, you know, big questions about what's next. And then, you know, this, you know, sort of uncomfortable feeling that there is a demand that the government steps in every single time something goes wrong. And in this case, they have found a buyer in HSBC. But had they not, what was the government planning to do? And Jeremy Hunt, the chancellor, has been very clear that, you know, he really needed to act on this. I think a lot of that comes down to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's views on Silicon Valley and the fact that in almost every speech where the then chancellor, now prime minister, gets free reign. He talks about the importance of turning the UK into its own Silicon Valley, and 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 he's really invested in these tech startups. You know, would the would they care so much about every sector? I don't know. But this idea that the government is always now going to step in and be that protection um, for every sector when things in the market go wrong, uh, you know, that's a really expensive business to be in. It's a really interesting shift in the trends, underlying trend there. Um, Kate and Katie, thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening. Later today, we're going to be bringing you another episode, because it's one of those days, about the integrated review, which we're expecting to be published today.